Brent Hammercheck is on with me, and uh, he is also co-founder of Common Ground Campus, VP, associate publisher for Human Events Media Group, owner of Human Events and the Post Millennium. I certainly want to welcome back to the show, Brent Hammercheck. How are you, friend? I couldn't be any better. Thanks for having me back. You know, it's like when my dad would go somewhere for dinner and he'd say he liked the food and the person would say, well, you had to say that. But uh, he would say, well, I didn't have to uh, go back for seconds. So <laughs> the fact that I'm invited back again is a very good sign. I'm grateful to be here. Well, we're grateful to have you. You know, Brent, uh, there is something going on in the Senate, I think, that's dressing down the decorum the, 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 um, of um of the United States Senate. I think America is not only being dumbed down, I think we're being dressed down in, in other ways, uh, many ways. Uh, what, what, what is the design behind dropping a dress code? I want to start with that, and then we'll get into some deeper stuff. What, what's the design behind that? Uh, talk to us from your standpoint. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting, right, because we start to lose tradition. They, they still wear wigs in the English courts. And while it can look quite silly by 21st century standards, there's something about that that is an acknowledgement of the timelessness of tradition and the respect for tradition. It is, if you will, sort of the ultimate statement of conservative values, true conservative values, you know, the Edmund Burke kind. And I recall it's over a decade ago, your audience could still find it if they looked, but there was a great column written by George Will condemning blue jeans and this sort of blue jeaning of america and how we had lost our formalities and our respect for venues and we all love to be comfortable we know that uh on the other hand you know suits and ties and press shirts on the senate floor signify a certain level of conservatism not the way it's used politically but the way it is meant to be used which is preserving tradition and dignity and respect and so when you see those kinds of things disappear uh, it's more than just saying well gosh we aren't as formal as we used to be it's a way to say we're no longer respecting old traditions old institutions so i think it's a very deep dark sort of signal it's sort of a sign of our times right where we've become informal to a fault, as if formality and dignity is some sort of a archaic notion. Yeah. Uh, I think they should be still very much alive. And you know, Brent, uh, when you say that, it, it makes me think that not only there's a break with tradition, but there also seems to be a break with common sense when we're talking about our uh, legislature uh, sending $6 billion over to Iran. Now listen, uh, $6 million, uh, a billion dollars over over to Iran, releasing that uh, for them. Let me ask you this: um, When we look at the freeing of Americans, of course we want Americans freed, but we broke with a tradition of negotiating with terrorists. Now you have a catch twenty two here. Yeah, you want the Americans to come home, but you certainly don't want to make all of us open season whenever we visit Europe. Uh, what what what's the tightrope that we walk here when we do such a thing? Talk to us. Well, of course, we have a long... It's interesting because that's a phrase we don't negotiate with terrorists, and we all know the phrase, 
and we all know it's stated, but it's about as solid a phrase as Obama drawing a red line in the sand in Syria that didn't exist. And uh, so we've done this before. We'll do it again. Um, there's nothing new. I mean, some of us you know, can remember the old days of uh, Iran hostage deals, and at least we can be grateful, by the way, Ross Perot didn't have to send in a rescue team with his own money this time. But it's a bigger point with regard to Iran. Um, it is important to note, by the way, you know, the money that was released was held in South Korea and related to money they were going to pay for energy and so on. There's a complex trail around this money. But the bigger question is, what is it exactly that we're doing, not just in the Middle East, but what is it that we are doing with known enemies of the United States? And we just continue to capitulate on every front we capitulate and we capitulate with mexico with the border crisis we capitulate with iran and what they do and how we treat them um capitulation is is everywhere and that is not the way a superpower ought to be acting so the the bigger message here is that we might be big we might be strong but if you focus a little bit, we'll fall right over. And I think that's concerning geopolitically in terms of how we look to those who wish to harm us. You know, you mentioned, I, I want to wanna follow up with this but over something, because you mentioned the, the word superpower. Is that slip sliding away from America? And uh, what danger are we in, in becoming a, a second-rate power to China or, well, maybe not to Russia, but to China? Talk to us. All right. Well, we're we're certainly we're already there with China, and and I would make the argument. And I made this argument with friends who are either still in the military or or near near active in the military or recently left that China has now superseded us. And when I make that argument, they'll point to our weapon system and the sophistication of all of our various forms of artillery and craft and other things. And I'll say, yes, but what about the willpower required behind it to use any of it? And our greatest loss of capability as a superpower, our greatest risk of loss of standing, isn't what we're capable of doing from a weapon standpoint. It's about what we're willing to do as a people forcefully to make a stand. Said differently, this isn't Sparta. And so we're happy to get involved in foreign conflicts where we can send technology or deploy some peacekeeping troops and so on. By the way, I'm not an adventurist with regard to our military. But when it comes to tough confrontations, when it comes to walking up to a line and saying to people, don't cross this, it's not that we don't have the technology capability to stand behind that, but we no longer have the willpower as a people to stand behind it. A, a rhetorical question to ask you. Can you imagine the United States today being willing to give up their nylons and grow victory gardens in support of some protracted effort to confront a threat? I can't. Wow. So that's the piece we've lost. Wow. You know, Brent, uh, that is that that is an incredibly provocative thought. Uh, what uh, Americans uh, aren't, aren't willing to do that. We're, we're very, very 
comfortable. And, 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 and in saying that then, uh, do you point to the weakness and of will, the weakness of will, or the, the unwillingness to, to uh, use what is in our hand, the, the bullies, the big stick uh, in our hand, uh, our, our American military. Are you saying then that people like Joe Biden and those at the top in the Democrat Party, do they have the lack of resolve, if it came to it in your estimation, to actually whack someone with that big stick? I know Trump was, was willing to do that. I don't believe that whoever's manipulating Joe Biden is willing to do that. Is that, is that what we can gather from that? Well, yeah, having a big stick, the, the key to having a big stick is never having to whack anybody with it. But to make it very, very clear to others that you're willing to if necessary. And one of the one of the problems that we have, it's almost paradoxical in my mind, is we've been willing to jump all around the globe for decades into all kinds of different conflicts that aren't necessarily our business and whack with little sticks. So the United States doesn't appear to be a superpower. It appears to be this sort of discretionary power. And, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the idea that, you know, you never want to pick on anybody in school when you're young that could actually pick on you back, right? So we'll, we'll pick our odd interventions and battles and lines that we draw and we'll be very, very tough with countries or incidents where the truth is there's a very little consequence to us. And that goes back to the willpower piece. And it goes back to, I think, our leaders of both parties kind of knowing that the American people aren't willing to pay a price. Again, an almost rhetorical question, given that China is clearly our enemy, clearly our enemy. And anybody who doesn't see that is just, I don't know, a bit daft. Given that they're clearly our enemy, how many people in America today would be willing tomorrow to give up their access to low-cost China-made goods? I mean, you do that, and in a handful of weeks, you'd have mobs in the street. Where's my stuff? And, and if we don't have the ability to even stop buying from a known enemy, what else are we capable of? My argument would be not much. Not much. And uh, friends, you better hear us. Pharmaceuticals would be off, basically off the shelf if uh, we we do certain things the wrong way. And with that in mind now, uh, you have, I, I just saw a report earlier today that there are literally boxcars of humanity coming from Central America, or actually people from all over the globe who could get into the boxcars, and they're heading toward our, our southern border. Now, I know that you and our friend John Rourke, along with our other friend uh, Glenn Parada, were all down at the border, and you saw things that uh, was just actually alarming, that, that, that those boxcars of humanity coming toward our southern border is very alarming as well. Uh, New York is crying uncle. Los Angeles has given up. And is that something, that type of condition 
Americans, are they aware that this can actually come to a city near wherever they are? What does it mean? And what did you see down there that that you can share with us that all of us had better stand up and push back against? Talk to us. Well, uh, big question, right? So with regard to the events uh, that you mentioned where I was just at the border, uh, I had the absolute privilege and you could almost, I mean, I shouldn't say almost, uh, for me, it was a life-changing privilege and it was for many of the participants to join in an event that was held last Saturday and Sunday down in Brownsville, Texas in 105 and 104 degree heat, respectively. We got a break the second day, but it was an event put on by John Rourke's group. We fund the Blue Foundation, uh, Common Ground Campus and Felissa Blazak and Latinos for America First, Bianca Gracia. They all came together in a joint venture and put together this remarkable event. What did we do? Well, we went to the bank of the Rio Grande where all there is, CL, uh, is rolls of razor wire laid along the bank on the American side. And directly across the river, there are encampments. By the way, if you've got a good arm, and I do, you could throw a rock across the Rio Grande at that point. And in those encampments are all sorts of folks waiting in sort of ramshackle little uh, you know, lean-to type things with cloth and poles holding them up for cover, waiting to form groups large enough to be brought across the border by cartel members. And they come across illegally. And they don't just come across at night. They can come across in daylight. And one of two things happens. Either there's nobody waiting for them when they cross, in which case they're dispersed into the population by folks waiting for them to do that or they're rounded up by Texas law enforcement, notably the constable's office there, and they're brought to holding areas where ICE is notified. And then they're processed and they're given a little plastic bag of identification documents and a plane ticket, and they're shipped out to various parts of the United States to await a court date set six six to nine months in the future, for which of course they never appear and they can't be found. Uh, the inspector general's office just issued a report a week or so ago saying that the border folks can't find these people when it's time for their court dates. So you see this massive humanity out of the river and you, you stand on the other bank, which is littered with garbage. We picked up, I'm told about five tons of garbage in two days, wow. 150 volunteers. And, uh, and it's all clothing, almost all clothing. Uh, and plastic bags because they come across with their dry clothes held above their heads. They get across and they discard all of their prior things. They change into new clothing and off they go and they leave that garbage. We saw used birth control uh, tablet uh, pop out, you know, the, the yeah. I can't think of what they're, blister packs, I guess. Um, we, we found used condoms. We found uh, uh antihistamine caplets uh, because they drug the children before they bring them across so that they're sleepy and unawares. And so they can't be questioned. Uh, I will say in closing to this long monologue that to go and see this in three dimensions transcends the pictures we're shown in two dimensions on our screens. Quite a remarkable thing to actually see and what a great event that those three folks put together for all of us to participate in. And God bless uh, you and uh, John and Glenn, all who participated 
in that for your efforts. Uh, Glenn, uh, John reported that uh, they were shouting uh, things at you all uh, from across uh, the Rio Grande, and, and one of the things was uh, clean up our trash. Uh, you, you Americans, clean up our, our trash. And uh, I don't know, it just rung, as, uh, struck me as the, the, the greatest um, insult uh, and, and, uh, and also expression of ingratitude that I can possibly uh, think of. What then in five years if we don't stop this, or heck, another year if we don't stop this 2,000 coming across and by the hour it seems now? Uh, what, what, how do you, what happens here? Can America go away? Uh, what, what, what's happening here? How are we evolving? Well, this is, this is sort of the, the ultimate uh, piece of strategy in what we can call a globalist movement. So we, we use terms and labels too much in this country for things, and they start to lose meaning. But it doesn't mean that, mean that all labels are meaningless. And the globalist one is a very meaningful one. So what is the goal here? And by the way, it's shared by Republicans and Democrats. It's not just a Democrat thing. The goal is if they can evaporate our nation's borders, if they can evaporate the notion of citizenship and nation-state status amongst the people, then what they can do is have this most powerful nation left in the free world start to slide into this global collectivist grouping that the World Economic Forum and others are trying so hard to push. This is, by the way, this is Orwell's 1984. This yeah. is, yeah, no doubt. Uh, that's exactly what we're heading towards. And so, um, you know, here in Illinois, the People's Republic of Illinois, where I live, they recently signed into law. Uh, a, a bill that non-citizens, people here illegally, can become law officers. Wow. And you just pause there for a moment. Wow. Imagine the idea of somebody in this nation illegally in the first place who is not a citizen being given a gun and a badge and being allowed to arrest citizens. Wow. Now, if that doesn't conjure notions of the ends of a nation state, I'm not sure what else would. It's a Example. I am seeing, uh, I live in Florida, a very nice area of Florida, but we are seeing turnover in our local stores. Uh, the faces that I used to see in my local stores who knew me, I knew them, they're not there anymore. And uh, they are replaced by people who, if you ask them questions, they don't know what you're saying to them. And I'm not talking about people from Latin America. I'm talking about people who uh, speak uh, in actually a different language than, than Spanish. Uh, my, my point is this. I'm not a xenophobe or anything like that, but I do believe in people coming to this nation the right way. And uh, since we are a nation, should be a nation of laws. But what does that mean? Does the American worker, uh, Brent, do they, do they realize what type of jeopardy they're in with this type of invasion that is going on? What are you thinking on that? Well, let me answer your question differently with this story from this past weekend, but I believe it will answer your question. So we had, there was a local uh, small college down in the Brownsville area that actually is immediately adjacent to the border. And interestingly enough, around that university, which is almost a stone's throw, uh, a little bit further, but not much, uh, from the border, they have a, a fence built around it, uh, an impenetrable sort of fence, if you will, 
uh, to the extent anything is, to protect the campus. It's wonderful. Now, we had student volunteers who were encouraged by their professors to take part in our event, and they did on Saturday. And what were they sharing? Well, they were sharing that we didn't realize any of this was here. They had no idea when they came from walking distance from their campus, a short walk, mind you, from their campus. They had no idea that all of this garbage was laying along the riverbank. They had no idea about the illegal encampments or the encampments filled with people waiting to cross the border illegally. They're a hundred yards away. So until this problem gets a hundred inches away from people, it gets very difficult for them to actually realize that it's real. Wow. It's uh it's an absorption problem, right? You can you can pollute a, a lake to a certain point and nobody knows the lake's polluted. And one day they go for a swim and they come up covered in sludge and they say, My God, there's a problem. Well, this is this is what we're seeing. You know, we're a large nation, a lot of land mass, three hundred and thirty million people. Everybody just hasn't jumped into the dirty lake quite yet. Incredible. Great answer uh, with that. Brent, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, bring you to a place where they are, and uh, hear your thoughts. Tell us how to do that. Well, you can find me easily enough. Uh, you can uh, Human Events uh, Media Group. You know, we're all, we're all here uh, there. A common Ground Campus is where I'd really like uh, your folks to go and uh, – Pay attention to the work that's been done, the videos that have been made, the events that have been held. Uh, Brent at Common Ground Campus is an email. I will tell your audience that uh, I reply to every note I ever get from anyone, uh, no matter how many. So I always personally respond and certainly would love to have people uh, check out the Common Ground Campus program uh, because what we're trying to do is uh, build bridges uh, between people and uh, get Americans talking again instead of uh, so much at odds with one another. Great program created by my my dear friend, Felissa Blazek. Excellent. That's our thing, and I'm easy to find, and uh, look forward to hearing from anybody with thoughts and ideas. And you guys can help him out if you can, if you go there uh, in, in any way you feel is appropriate and how you are led. Brent Hammercheck, I want to thank you so much for being on with me here today. You're going to be a regular on the show, man. Got to keep, stay in touch with you. Thank you for being so clear and concise uh, in your answers. God bless and God keep you is my prayer for you. Talk to you soon.